All right, if you have your Bibles, you should be in Luke chapter 5. We're continuing our sermon series uh, through the Gospel of Luke. Um, in the Bible, there's two Testaments, an Old and a New Testament. Uh, the first four books of the New Testament tell us about what happens with Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're eyewitness accounts. We're digging into Luke. He's writing an orderly account of what Jesus has said and what he has done. And so we're going to dig in and live life with Jesus over the next few Weeks And today we're going fishing. Now, before we get there, does anybody know what this week, the 75th anniversary of what event was this past week? You better know it, right? D-Day. So what happened June 6, 1944, there were over 156,000 Allied troops made up uh, from Canada, Great Britain, the United States. And they needed to get a foothold back in Europe from where Germany was defeating country after country after country. Uh, they get to France and they have a stronghold there. And Dwight Eisenhower is the supreme commander and selects five beaches that the, the army, the Allied forces needed to take. And it would be costly. You see over the, the D-Day there were over 4,000 casualties on that day as they stormed the beach. And I can't imagine the courage and bravery it takes. So you're on this boat and they go and they drop you off and there's machine gun fire and bombs exploding and chaos around you and you keep moving forward. The military should have our respect, the, the comfort um, and what they can do that they sacrifice so that they can go and serve their country is an, an amazing responsibility, an amazing sacrifice. And so I, I wanted to point that out today, and I think it does well with our text today. What we're going to see, you're going to see Peter, he's a fisherman who leaves everything to follow Jesus. You're going to meet Levi, he's a tax collector, he leaves everything to follow Jesus. They lay down what they want to do so that they can follow Jesus. They don't call the shots anymore. Jesus does. Well, in the same way in the military, I talked with two, other, two of our guys last night that served in the military. I talked a little bit about basic training and how uh, the military works. When you go into the military, you don't call the shots. Can you imagine a soldier going into basic training and telling the drill sergeant, hey, you know what, I'm going to sleep in today, wake me up about 9.30. I'm going to hit snooze and then I'll get up about 9.45. And, and so I went through and, and I was talking to them. They say, they tell you when to get up. They tell you how to make your bed. Um, you, you drop a quarter and it should bounce off a perfectly made bed. You take a hanger, you, you run it down the bed, and if it gets caught, you didn't make your bed right. Like, that's discipline. Every detail mapped out, they tell you how to dress, they tell you where to place your boots and extra clothes, how far you are to run, how many push-ups you have to do, how many sit-ups, how many wall sets, how to crawl in the sand with your face down. Like, like there's some tormenting ways to be punished in the military, and you don't get, well, you know what, I'm going to sit that one out. You got to do it. Why? Because you lay aside those freedoms when you sign up for the military. You do what the drill sergeant says. One of the guys said, you know, you're required to get four hours of sleep a night, but you're not required to get four hours of sleep in a row at night. And he said, every 15 minutes for this night, they wake us up on the 15-minute mark. So you're asleep, boom, wake up. All right, guys, you can go back to sleep. 15 minutes later, boom, wake up. All right, you can go back to sleep. That Crazy. You don't call the shots when you're in the military. In the same way, when it comes to following Jesus, if Jesus is Lord of your life, you don't call the shots. You don't get, you know what, Jesus, I'll follow you here, but I'm not doing that. You call me to do this, you know what, I'm going to put that aside. I'm going to do what I want here. 
And what you're going to see is when you come to Peter and you come to Levi, they see Jesus as Lord and it changes what they do. Because when Jesus is Lord of your life, he tells you what to do. Now, here's the awesome part. Jesus will never lead you down the wrong path. He knows what's best for you. He knows what's good for you. And he doesn't leave you. And he doesn't forsake you. And so that's what we're going to dig into. And honestly, there's two things I want to accomplish today. And this is my goal. I hope everybody in the room follows Jesus. Right? He is Lord of all. He is worth you giving your life up to follow him. That's goal number one. Number two, I hope we become fishers of people. The, the saying, it might not make sense now, I hope it does at the end of the message. Caught fish catch fish. Those who know Christ help others know Christ. And so that's what I, I want us to see. All right, am I following Jesus as Lord? And then, am I going after others? Am I bringing people to Jesus? And you don't have to know much. If you're waiting to know the whole Bible and all 66 books, if you know enough to be saved, you know enough to bring others to the Jesus that saved you. And so the goal of this message is that we follow Jesus and we fish for others. All right, let's pray and then we're going to dig in. Father, I pray that as we see your word in Luke chapter 5, I pray it changes us. Your word is powerful. Your spirit is moving. I pray you convict us of our sin. Show us how powerful forgiveness is and give us an urgency to go after others. So in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, number one, follow Jesus. You see this in chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. So uh, Jesus is teaching the people. This is very, very important, right? Because he's getting ready to compare a fishing trip to what he's doing right now. He's speaking to crowds. So check this out in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. All right, so that's very important because that's what he's going to compare to Peter fishing with nets. Jesus' net is the word of God. People are pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Verse 2, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out. They were not there. They were washing their nets. Verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. His name's also Peter. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. So, so get this massive crowd keeping Jesus, and he's, he's backing up so the crowd can form, and he keeps pressing and pressing, and then he gets to the water. And he's like, hey, Peter, I need your boat. Gets in the boat, and he's teaching the people the word of God. That's very important because Jesus is designing this to show Peter what he's going to be called to do in just a minute. All right, so the net that Jesus is casting is the word of God. And what he is doing is he's catching people for the kingdom of God. They are hungry for the word of God. Now, this is very important. Because in our day, our people do not know the word of God. They don't know what to expect. They don't know what God is like. Is God an angry God? Is he a loving God? Does he permit all sorts of things? Who is God? And we can't answer that question in many of our neighborhoods. So we got to teach people this is who God is. This is how God loves. This is how God's justice flows down. This is the righteousness that he makes. This is how forgiveness is offered. We've got to teach the word of God. We've got to share the word of God. And then you see it gets interesting. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, 
put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. What was Peter and Andrew and James John? What were they doing? They were washing their nets. They're done fishing. Jesus says, hey, let's go back out there. Let's put down our nets. And so here comes the question, will they follow Jesus? Jesus says, do this. Peter has an option. So number one, when it comes to following Jesus, we have to do what Jesus tells us to do. There is no middle ground. You either obey or you don't. Jesus has called us to do a lot of things. Will you obey? If you're following Jesus, you do what Jesus tells us to do. And so we see this. This is what he says. Put down your nets. Take out to the deep. We'll catch some fish. Verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. So there's a respect, but then it's like, hey, Jesus, you're a carpenter. I've fished my whole life. Listen, you, you fish at night. We did that. We didn't catch anything. We're tired. There's nothing out there. Right? That's the expert opinion when it comes to fishing. And Peter's right. Peter's right about the fish, but he's wrong about Jesus. That's the awesome thing. Jesus can bring fish where there are no fish. He can fill your nets up when you couldn't all night. This is a beautiful picture of how Jesus is powerful and how his word takes root. So, question. Do you follow Jesus even when you're tired? Don't want to do that anymore. Don't want to do this. I'd rather do this than spend time with God tonight. I don't want to make that call because that conversation is going to take forever. Even though you think God is leading you that way. You don't want to go visit this neighbor. You don't want to have them over. Do you obey Jesus even when you're tired? And then secondly, do you obey Jesus even when it doesn't make sense? Because Peter here is confused. Like, Jesus, don't you see us over here washing the nets? We're finished fishing. If we go back out there and we put them down, we're going to have to wash them again. But I love this. So, so Jesus, or Peter follows Jesus even when he's tired, even when, he doesn't, even when it doesn't make sense, and then check out what happens. It says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. That's an awesome response. Doesn't make sense. I'm tired, but I'm going to do what you've told me to do and then see what happens. Verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And so one of the things when you follow Jesus, expect God to move and show up. Don't be surprised when he shows up. And so check out what happens. They enclosed a large number of fish, number one. Their nets were breaking, number two. They signaled to their partners for the other boat to come and help them. That's number three. Number four, and they came and filled both boats. Number five, they began to sink. That is a great catch. When your nets are breaking, your boats are sinking, you've done your job. Jesus sees this and calls his people, hey, I need you to obey. On the other side of obedience, you're going to see God move. So when we pray for someone who's been lost or we have this relationship and we have this situation that seems desperate, you keep walking with Jesus and don't be surprised when God shows up. Then we see following Jesus, you got to do what Jesus tells you to do, but you also have to die to yourself. So after this great catch of fish, look at Peter's response. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, this is a surprising response. 
You see, Peter realizes in the chaos of the catch who Jesus is. This isn't just the carpenter down the road. There's something about this guy that knows where fish are going to be even when there are no fish. There's somebody great in my boat. Now, I don't know about you. If you've ever been around fish, they stink. (coughs) Peter doesn't care about the stench of fish. He cares about the glory of Christ, and he falls down on his knees before Jesus, down with the fish. That's an act of humility. And then he says, depart from me, for I am a sinner. And what you see whenever God shows up and people see his glory, they get low. And you're going to see this in a little bit. There's a couple guys in in just a little bit that think they can show up to Jesus and tell him who he should hang out with and what he should do. And Jesus is like, I'm not after you guys. I'm after the sick who need a doctor. I'm after the sinners who need forgiveness. Until you get to this spot, you'll never see your need for Christ, even though you need him. So if you want to follow Jesus, you have to do what Jesus tells you to do, and then you have to die to yourself. Can't be the boss of your life. Not if you're going to follow Jesus. <clears throat> and then you have to dive in. Last part, last verse. Jesus says, hey, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. I do love that response from Jesus, don't you? He doesn't say, you know what, Peter, you're not that bad a guy. No, he says, hey, don't be afraid. And then he gives them a new mission. I love the fact that God uses messed up people for his mission and purposes. It's all he has to choose from. But we get to be included in kingdom expansion because Jesus uses sinners who are forgiven. Jesus came to save. He's like, hey, Peter, I I can cover your sin. But this is what we're going to do. And then you see in verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Now, I don't know about you. That's a bad time to leave the fishing business, business if you're Peter. You just had the greatest catch in history of your fishing company. You could buy another boat. You could get another team. You could buy new nets. You could expand. Limitless options. Everybody's going to come to you and ask you, hey, how did you catch two boat full of fish and sink and break your nets? And Peter's like, no, I'm, I'm leaving this. I'm going to do what Jesus has called me to do. Left everything to follow Jesus. That's diving in. Have you guys ever done that? Have you ever seen, Jesus, you're worth everything. And so it's approaching Jesus with open hands. Jesus, here's my bank account. How do you want me to spend my money? Jesus, here's my schedule. Here's my calendar. How do you want me to live my life? Jesus, here's my itinerary. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? It's an open hand policy when it comes to Jesus. And then a willingness to do what he's called you to do. That's how you leave everything. We go on this canoe trip <clears throat> up to the Little Miami, and they used to have, I don't know if it's still there, I think, it, I think the tree has finally died, but the tree was dying, but it would overhang over the water of the Little Miami. And if there was enough rain, it'd be deep enough to jump in. The problem was, next to this huge tree over the water was another tree that had fallen down. And if you jump off the tree without going all the way out over the water, you land on this tree, and it would be bad. So this is a massive tree. It would be like climbing up to the top of our church building, right? And then jumping off the the center part into the water. And I remember swimming there thinking, you know what? It's not that bad. It's not that high. And then I got to the top part and it was that bad. 
And we go and we jump off. We had one guy mark the tree that was down. We jump off. But one of my buddies went to jump, and it was a half-hearted attempt. And in mid-jump, as he was going, he decided he didn't want to jump. And he went to grab the tree, and he grabbed the tree, and he wrapped his legs around it. Now, if you know anything about my friends, you're not getting help. Right? You're going to hang on to that tree or you're going to fall into the water. Sure enough, he's hanging up there. Um, if, if you've ever seen a bear in a tree and a tranquilizer start to affect it, you can see eventually his grip was starting to loosen. And, oh, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. Boom. Smacks, hits the water, misses the tree. And the point is there are no half-hearted attempts when you jump out of a tree into water. You're not going to dip your toe in to see if it's cool. You're jumping in. And when it comes to Jesus, I think some of us are trying to do this half-hearted. Like, yeah, I'll trust Jesus here. Ooh, that's too much. There are no half-hearted followers of Jesus. Jesus says, hey, if you're going to come after me, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to take up your cross and you've got to follow me. There's no room for half-hearted devotion. And here, Peter's like, you know what? Forget it. I'm leaving it. Everything. And I'm going to follow Jesus. That's point number one. Are you following Jesus? And then number two, if you follow Jesus, you're going to fish for people. So just look at these, and we're going to hit these quickly uh, due to time, but we're going to look at three accounts of how Jesus goes fishing. All right, so number one, uh, when, we, when we do this, when we go fishing, don't be afraid or surprised about who gets caught. No one's too far, too down, too out for Jesus to rescue. It's an amazing thing who God draws to himself. It doesn't make sense to us by our standards. Like, oh, that would be good if that guy was saved or this guy. But Jesus goes to anybody and draws them to himself. And it's an amazing thing to see the power of God transform a life. Nobody's too far from God. And so here you'll see a desperate situation. Verse 12, while he was uh, in one of those cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Now, in this time, there's no cure for leprosy. Your skin's falling off of your body. And you're not allowed in contact with anybody. So if you have leprosy and you're in here, uh, Mike will use you. Let's say you have leprosy. You're not sitting there today. You're going outside because when you're in contact, Taiwan now has leprosy, right? And that's how it spread. And so they would take the guy with leprosy and say, hey, you got to get outside the city. And you can't come in here. Nobody wants you around. They're scared to death of you. That's a desperate situation. You're dying on the outside and you're dying on the inside. Nobody wants to be around you. And if you didn't have family, nobody's caring for you. This is a scary situation for this man. And it says that he was full of leprosy. And then I'll check this out. He humbles himself. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Hey, you're going to see this again. Peter falls on his face before God. This man with leprosy falls on his face before God. If you can't, you can make me well. And now check this out. This is awesome. Verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. You don't touch a dude with leprosy. You want to know what happens when you touch somebody with leprosy? You get leprosy. Jesus isn't scared of getting leprosy. And now check out what he touches him, says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus isn't scared of getting dirty. He comes and makes him clean. Jesus throws the net out, draws a man with leprosy. Don't be surprised when who you deem the farthest from God, God draws to himself. All you have to do is throw the net. Let's see the next guy. 
Jesus heals a paralytic on verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, still casting the net, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some of the men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof, let him down on his bed, threw the tiles into the midst of Jesus. Now, now this is an awesome picture. This guy can't get to Jesus because he's paralyzed, but he has four dudes that know, hey, if I can just set him before Jesus, Jesus will heal him. All five of these guys have magnificent faith. And so they come and like, oh, we're boxed out. Oh, we can't get him. I don't know how tired they are from carrying this guy on a mat. But they're like, oh, we can't get in there. Uh, check another door. Oh, there's no back. Right, is there a window? No. Boom. Roof. Steps. Let's carry this dude up there. All right, we get to the roof. They're looking down like, oh, man, there's no opening. They start removing the guy's roof. I don't know whose home it is, but they were desperate to get this guy to Jesus. And they finally get the roof off, and they start lowering this guy down, and they set him before Jesus. That's the pitch. Do you see the urgency these friends have of getting this guy to Jesus? I would love for that to be our urgency. I would love for that to be our of how we reach our neighborhoods in Covington. Now, let's see what happens. And when he saw their faith, Jesus seeing the, the friend and this guy's faith, he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I don't know about you. I wonder how the friends were thinking, like, oh, man, that's a letdown. Like, we brought a guy that couldn't walk to Jesus, and he says your sins are forgiven. You see, right there, Jesus tackles the biggest obstacle in the room. I think sometimes we forget that, right? You've heard about forgiveness and you've heard about sin. Sin is debilitating. If Jesus didn't heal this guy that was paralyzed, but forgave his sins like he said he did, you want to know what matters today? That his sins are forgiven. Because today, this dude who was paralyzed for however many years now gets to enjoy the presence of God in heaven because his sins are forgiven. Can you imagine, he comes to Jesus, he heals him, he's walking around for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and then he dies and then he's separated from God forever because of his sin? That's debilitating. And so Jesus comes and says, hey, your sins are forgiven. He tackles the biggest issue first. And that is our biggest issue. That is this city's biggest issue. That is every person's biggest issue, their sin. And the good news, the net that we're casting, is that Jesus has paid for your sin, just like he healed the man of leprosy, and just as he's going to heal this paralytic, he is the great physician who has paid for your sin, and he can heal you. And as you throw that net, don't be surprised who you catch. So he says this, and then the Pharisees start to talk a little trash. Verse 21, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blaspheme? Who can forgive sin but God alone? That's the right answer. Only God can forgive sin. They're wrong in thinking Jesus is not God. So Jesus sees this. Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or rise and walk? I love it. Jesus comes and he knows what they're thinking. Like, hey, so what do you think is easier? To forgive sin or say get up and walk? And then he goes on to say, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So what he's about to do is to prove that I have the authority to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. You don't have to go through the roof anymore. You're going to walk. Verse 25, and immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, 
glorifying God, and amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. It's an amazing thing what happens when people are filled with faith, getting people to Jesus. Extraordinary things will happen. And then finally, Jesus is still fishing, catches a man who has leprosy, a man who is paralyzed, and then probably one of the most hated people on the planet. Verse 27, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. Now, real quick on tax collectors, um, this country, Rome, comes in, devastates the people in Jerusalem, the Jews. And now, to get money from them, they hire tax collectors from the people they've conquered. And the tax collectors would take more than they were supposed to, and nobody could do anything about it because they had the backing of the Roman army. These men were hated. There is no comparison today. Nobody liked tax collectors. And Jesus comes, says, follow me to Levi, sitting in his tax booth. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And now I love this. Levi uses his resources to bring people to Jesus. Check this out, verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and, and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you hanging out with those people? You should be hanging out with us. We're the people God likes. Jesus flips that on its head. Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come not to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. To go fishing, you're calling sinners to repentance. Faith in Christ. And, and I love this. Just as Jesus reaches out and touches the man with leprosy and heals him, and just as the paralyzed man, he speaks, get up, take your mat and go home, and he is healed, Jesus does the same thing to your sin and to my sin. There's no marks of sin in me before God today, tomorrow, for the rest of my life, for the rest of history. When I stand before God, what God sees is the righteousness of his son because he took all of my sin when he went to the cross and he paid it. That is a great physician. He is able to root out the sin that devastates us and pay for it so that we can experience God. That's what it means to be caught. Do you follow Jesus? Are you blown away by his glory? And then do you fish for Others And I, I want to close with, with this, uh, this illustration. We play uh, in our family uh, the punch bug game, right? Which is fine when you're driving around with a 7-year-old and a 9-year-old, right? With Balin and Camden, you see it, punch bug, boom. All right, good. Camden, she gets excited. She'll hit a little bit harder. Uh, bam, punch bug, I got it. Well, now uh, I ride along with Mike, and the game's not as fun anymore. Right? When Mike sees a punch bug, my right arm is experiencing numbness. Boom! What was that punch bug blue? And so we're out yesterday. We go to a, a gas station, walking mile after mile. We finally get uh, to the gas station. We get uh, our Gatorades. We start walking back. And as we're walking back, we're just talking. We're just talking. All of a sudden, wham! Punch bug blue. And I'm looking. I'm like, where is a punch bug? Sure enough, on this driveway, in this lot, there is a punch bug. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't looking for it. 
I was caught off guard. In the same way, don't be surprised when Jesus says, hey, throw your net. You're like, ah, oh, Jesus, I'm tired. Jesus, we've done this already. I've already been to this house. I've already talked to this person. And Jesus is like, throw your net. Don't be surprised when and where and with who God calls you to. All you have to do is throw the net. And then God shows up, draws people to himself. We have to follow Jesus. And if we're following Jesus, we'll be fishing for men. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you teach us where we are, that you convict us. Father, I pray for those in the room that are not following you. I pray that they decide to follow you with all of their heart, that they leave everything. They open up their hands and say, wherever and whatever, God. I pray that they follow Jesus. I pray that they experience forgiveness of their sin, which you have paid for on the cross. And then I pray for those who have experienced Jesus, and know what it means to follow him. I pray that we are faithful and fishing for others. I pray that we show the urgency that those friends have of not allowing anything to stop them from getting their friend before Jesus. I pray that we go to the down and out, those that are far from God. And I pray that we cast the net that is your word. And I pray that you draw people to yourself. I pray that we see that in each neighborhood, all 24 neighborhoods of Covington. Pray that we see that all along the river in Newport and Ludlow and Bellevue and Cincinnati. And I pray there's a reverberation throughout the nations. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.